This poem is by Mike Bonikowski, who's a colleague and friend to both Keith and I. I don't know the title of it. Do you know the title? I don't know if it has a title, but it's based on the verse in Luke where Jesus says, I, so many times I've wanted to gather you as a mother hen gathers her chicks. And that's where Mike got the inspiration for this poem. Because the nest is soiled and the heat lamp is not shared, because the grain goes all to those that don't need any more, because the small grow smaller while the large grow large enough to push their weaker brothers to the foxes and the rats. She comes again, the mother hen, who broods but broods no longer, called by the squabble and the stench and the blood beneath the nest she made. She comes to break the pecking order, to end their warring with her weight. The shadow of her wings is wide, her peace is soft and heavy. She comes again, the mother hen, who broods but broods no longer. She comes to gather, for she knows what is not gathered is destroyed. You would have seen the image behind there. It's not uh, something we usually talk about in in church, this idea of of chickens and hens, but um, it's something we're just touching on today. If you are a a child today, you're welcome to follow Darcy out for KidMax over there, and the rest of us are going to continue on with the, the teaching. All right. Well, thank you for, for being here today, and it's so good to, to be with you. I know I'm um, missing air conditioning at this point in time, but uh, it's still good to be gathered here together. And uh, I love that imagery in the poem as well, about just being gathered as a mother hen gathers her chicks, and it's beautiful. Um, those of you who know Darcy and I and our family know that we have some experience with chickens. And uh, we currently have five, but a couple of days ago, that was almost down to four. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you that story. So Darcy and I were just uh, settling down to go to bed, and it was after, after midnight. And, uh, and we hear like this, this squabbling, these chickens are going, wah, 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 wah. and it was, it was slowly going away from us. The sound was going away from us. And it was terrifying sound like I can't I can't do it justice and I won't even try but this idea of this this um, squawking getting quieter and quieter so I wasn't sure exactly what was going on and I was kind of in that that stupor um, that you have as you're settling down to sleep but I sprang out of bed and I I ran downstairs and I grabbed a flashlight Uh, the flashlight had kind of dying batteries in it so I was heading out there in my sleepwear uh, to see what was going on with the the chickens and it turns out that whoever had um, put the chickens away for the night had closed the little door that was kind of between them and the, the chicken coop where they were. 
but had left a large door because they were running out in the yard, had left a large door open. And so it was just wide open. And we saw the four chickens uh, sitting on their roost there. Uh, and we knew one was missing and we could hear this, this squawking in the distance. So I had a flashlight in one hand and uh, a broom in the other hand. And I went, I, I don't know, don't ask about the broom. Um, <laughs> I don't know why. Uh, maybe it was going to be like a, a very dirty predator or something that needed cleaning off. But I headed back into the forest to try to figure out what was going on. And, uh, and I'm, so I'm back there and the, the light's dying. And I'm not sure what it is. Maybe it's a coyote, probably a coyote. Um, I, raccoons, I don't think usually carry them away. Um, and, and I finally got close to where it was pitch black, finally got close to where I had heard the sound coming from. And then I, and then I hear this something coming out of the underbrush towards me. It's, it's, a rustling of, of the leaves. And of course, I wasn't scared at all. That's not, not terrified. <laughs> okay, maybe I was a little scared. Uh, I wasn't sure what it was going to be. And and turns out it was the chicken who had uh, gotten away. I, I had been making noise as I came through to hopefully scare the predator away. And so the chicken came out and it had been molting, so all its feathers were gone. It was not a pretty sight. And it was um, quite beat up by the predator as well. It didn't look, um, it, was, it had a, quite a bit of blood on it and stuff. And, um, you know, in that moment, I was just so relieved because if it had been out there in the dark, I probably wasn't going to find it. But it had come to me knowing that I would be a source of, of hope for it. And so we were able to bring the chicken in. Never did see the predator, but we were able to take care of it. It's still alive to this day, and so we're, we're thankful for that. But something about this, I mean, I mentioned kind of the, the way it warmed my heart that the chicken came out to me. But also this story kind of captures something about the world today, that we don't live in a world where we can leave our doors open at night. We don't live in a world where we can leave doors unlocked um, and just hope that everything's going to go fine. That we know that there's a lot of evil in the world, there's a lot of injustice in the world. And I, I long for a world where, where, you know, as we hear in the Bible, the lion can lay down with the lamb, right? Where there's not that threat. And, and to be honest, we live, uh, most of us uh, in this part of the world live in relative safety. Um, but we know it's, it's not the case for many around the world in, in war-torn parts and, and whatnot. The, um, the psalmist in Psalm 85 talks a bit about this world that I long for. He says, Surely God's salvation is near those who fear him, that his glory may dwell in our land. Love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs forth from the earth, and righteousness looks down from the heaven. Such a beautiful picture, isn't it, that Love and faithfulness meet each other. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. It reminds me of um, a speech from Martin Luther King Jr., and you might be familiar with this. The, the quote itself actually comes from Theodore Hacker. But he says, The arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. The arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. I don't know if you wrestle with that. I, I definitely do wrestle with that when I read the news every day and I look at what's happening. I'm like, is this, are things really tending towards justice? Are we really headed in that way? 
or is it just injustice all the way down? Today we're going to be looking at a passage from Mark 7 where a mother confronts Jesus about the injustice in the world and the way that it's touched her life and the life of her daughter. And you're welcome to turn there today if you have a Bible app or a Bible with you. Looking at Mark 7 verses 24 to 30. So Jesus has been traveling, I'll say that for you again, Mark, Mark 7, verses 24 to 30. Um, Jesus has been traveling around the Sea of Galilee. He's been traveling with people he knows, people who love him for the most part, and we know that there are a lot of exceptions as well, um, but among Jewish people and a place where he feels like ho at home. And now he is among foreigners, so he's uh, entered over into Tyre and uh, is with people who are at least on the margin between Jews and Gentiles. As we can read here, Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it. So he's trying to get away from people who know him and who have demands on him. I don't know if you've experienced that all, at all over the past couple of years, being in the same house potentially with the same people who might have similar requests from day to day. I don't know if you've ever felt like, I just want to be in a house somewhere else that nobody can find me. Maybe that's just me. So he's trying to get away. And then a woman finds him, a woman who desperately needs him. Like that hen who came out of the underbrush, she knew where she needed to go or where she felt she needed to go. As soon as she heard about him, this woman who had a little daughter who was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. Pastor Timothy Keller describes her this way. He says, she has none of the religious, moral, and cultural credentials necessary to approach a Jewish rabbi. She's a Phoenician, a Gentile, a pagan, a woman, and her daughter has an unclean spirit. She knows that in every way, according to the standards of the day, she is unclean and therefore disqualified to approach any devout Jew, let alone a rabbi. So as a woman, Gentile, and foreigner, she's been described by biblical scholars as triply marginalized in her society. These days we might use the word intersexual, sorry, not intersexual, um, intersectional to describe her experience, uh, where the, the intersections of her various marginalizations kind of come together. In the encounter, we, as is told in Matthew, we learn that after she cries out for help for her suffering daughter, Jesus did not answer a word. It's kind of a, a twist, isn't it? From, for anybody who's been reading the New Testament, reading the Bible for any length of time, that Jesus basically ignores her here. The disciples go further and urge Jesus to send her away because she was annoying them. <laughs> he then says, essentially... This isn't my job. He says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. First, let the children eat all they want, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. It's okay to be distraught at this story. It's, I think we should be profoundly uncomfortable at this turn of events. This is the Jesus who had said, let the little children come to me for, and do not hinder them, for such is the kingdom of God. 
one would think that the disciples who had been following and learning from Jesus would also be uncomfortable at his lack of empathy here, his lack of caring. Their reaction instead shows that this is how he was expected to respond. Jesus is exposing the laws of interaction that, that govern um, the encounter that he has with this woman, the powerful so social forces at play that expect us to interact in different ways. This is how men were to respond to women. This is how religious teachers were to interact with the unclean. This is how devout Jews were expected to interact with Phoenician Gentiles. So he's exposing these social contracts that are at play in the world. We know that those haven't gone away, have they? They might look a little different in terms of what is impurity today and, and those types of things, but we see them when, um, when encountering somebody who's different, perhaps an interaction with somebody with a disability, an apparent disability. Perhaps as we're walking down the street downtown and we encounter somebody who is in need of help, we're expected just to go on by. Perhaps it's um, that we that we aren't expected to show compassion when somebody has made decisions that have landed them where they are. Whether it's racism, xenophobia, homophobia, ableism, sexism, the list goes on and on. So can you picture yourself in the place of this woman, surrounded by people who are ignoring you, rejecting you, minimizing your experience, especially when you had hoped that this one might be different. Again, it reminds me of that hen coming out of the underbrush, hoping to find somebody who could save her. The, the Greek for the word healing, um, both, both encompasses, well, salvation, I guess, sozo, it encompasses both a sense of healing and a sense of salvation. So essentially, this woman was coming to Jesus for both healing and for salvation. But there's a real irony in the way that Jesus responds to her here. The metaphors that we use for God matter. We had some metaphors in, in the poem earlier. Because this is the way that we start to approach and understand God's mystery. And quite often, we see God represented as a mother. A mother who advocates fiercely for her children. So we have the image of the invisible God here bizarrely turning down a mother's plea for help. In Hosea, we read about God being like a mother bear or a mother eagle in Deuteronomy. In Matthew 23, upon entering Jerusalem, Jesus grieves for the Jewish people, saying, How often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. It is verses like this that Mike based his poem on earlier. Or Isaiah prophesies on God's behalf, as a mother comforts her child, so I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. So it's God's motherhood that jealously loves and cares for God's children as the same motherly devotion that drives this woman to fight for her daughter's well-being. And this mother has, has bizarrely, unexpectedly displayed God's loving kindness in a way that Jesus so far has failed to do. Some of you might be familiar with um, theologian and pastor Brian McLaren. 
And he thinks that uh, Jesus is, is learning something here, that Jesus is coming out of those stereotypes, coming out of those traditions, uh, and is embracing a new way of thinking. I don't take, tend to take the, I, I mean, he has a point. I, I don't tend to take the text at face value in that way, or maybe quite as literally. I think something else is going on here. So with my work at, at Christian Horizons, we, um, and Jasmine also works there, we support people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. And we often uh, encounter parents of children, whether it's adult children, younger children, um, who have really had to fight and advocate for their loved ones all their life. They've had to advocate for people with intellectual and developmental disabilities because of all the barriers and social um, constructs they've had to encounter through the years. These parents are fierce. These parents are strong. And they don't, they don't give up when they encounter a barrier. Sometimes they come to our churches even. They come looking for a place where maybe things are different. And I'd love to say that that's always the case, but unfortunately it isn't. Often they encounter the same looks, the same stares, the same barriers in our churches as they do in wider society. A week from today, our family is going to be headed down to Peterborough area where they have a Christian Horizons family camp. And the idea of this camp is the families can come there, families who experience disability, and have a bit of a, a new world, have a bit of a new encounter with a space that welcomes and receives them as they are, a space that anticipates their needs, where they don't have to be advocating in the same way, where they have somebody to support their child or their loved one, and they can experience a vacation together as a family. And it's such a blessing to be a part of that because it's a little taste, I think, of that kingdom that Jesus is calling us to, that kingdom where people don't have to, have to advocate in this way. I think when we look at the story, I think that Jesus knew the strength of this woman. After all, in the verses just leading up to this, he had been challenging the religious leaders who had clung to their traditions and condemned the disciples for, for eating impurely, basically, and Jesus stepped in to defend and to say that basically they had been offending the mother heart of God in how they, uh, they were condemning his disciples. He knew that this, this woman wouldn't stop now, that the strength of her love for her child and the strength of her faith would keep her going. He knew that she was recognizing something that even the disciples around him had failed to recognize, that God's spirit was about to be poured out on all people, as we read in Acts. The, God, the way that God's love would transform the world and upset all man-made systems of structures of oppression for those willing to follow the Jesus way. We read in Galatians, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's not, no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. The way that our identity is recalibrated around the person of Jesus. So considering everything that this mother has encountered so far, her response is actually quite measured. I don't think I would be as, um, as controlled when I was responding to Jesus in this moment. She says, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And we have a, a picture up here as well, which is titled Crumbs of Love, um, where a mother here is feeding her child, uh, and the child is leaning down and has a crumb that she's offering to the dog. 
And so the woman does not dispute the place that she finds herself in the world. She doesn't dispute the systems and structures that have oppressed her to these days. But she believes that God's mercy extends even to, and especially to, the least of these. She believes that the crumbs will fall off the table and those crumbs will be enough. They'll be sufficient for her. And I find it incredible how in this moment, Jesus actually turns over revelation to her in terms of like a mic drop moment. Usually it's Jesus that comes around and says, gives a sermon on the mount or whatever it is he does. But in this moment, the woman is the one who reveals God's good work among them. When I first talked about this story, it was with a group of lawyers from across Canada. They were a group of Christian lawyers that kind of came together from time to time and talked about their work. It's really fascinating to look at this passage from that perspective because we see off the start that Jesus is essentially playing the judge, jury, and executioner, right? He's kind of embodying the laws and the the structures of his day. The mother's position was clear. She didn't have a voice through no fault of her own. She had completely missed the mark in almost every way. Her gender, culture, place of birth, and religion were all wrong according to the standards. On top of that, her her daughter was possessed by, by demons, right? And so when the woman offers her defense, as impossible as it might seem, with all the odds stacked against her, Jesus comes through as her advocate. We read in 1 John 2, My dear children, I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, if anyone misses the mark, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. Ultimately, Jesus is our only hope, our advocate, and our defense On those days when it doesn't seem like justice is going to be done, the systems of injustice are going to crush us when we've missed the mark. And Jesus' response to this woman is, for such a reply, for such a logos, for such a word, for such a logic or truth, you may go, the demon has left your daughter. It's not pure emotion that won him over. It's not pure will that won him over. The mother has offered this insightful glance into the truth of God's world, the truth and the logos and the logic of God's way. And so that's what we live into as a church, that there's a deeper truth between the regime, uh, beyond and beneath the regimes of truth that structure our relationships here. That God's mercy goes all the way down. I'm not sure where you find yourself today, if, if you've been fighting, if you've been advocating for, for loved ones who are close to you, and it just feels crushing and overwhelming. I'm not sure if, um, if it's yourself that you've been advocating for, and you're looking for somebody who cares, you're looking for an advocate or a defense. But I think there's a, a profound truth here that Jesus, as God's word become flesh, reveals, reveals God's justice. He, in Matthew, Jesus proclaims, Woman, great is your faith, that she is seeing with the eyes of faith something that can't be seen in the world today. The political reality of a kingdom that is here but not yet. A kingdom that we live into, even if we can't see it 
as much as we would like in the world around us. And so what, what's, the, what's the message or the take home for us today? Well, one thing that stands out to me is uh, from the words of Zechariah, where he says, this is what the Lord Almighty says, administer true justice, show mercy and compassion to one another. And I love how, I love how powerful a statement this is, that God's justice is God's mercy that we are called to fight for merciful justice for the poor, for the oppressed, for those who have found themselves kind of on the other end of injustice in the world. We learn that for the least of these, it's mercy and compassion that is justice. And so even when we feel like we're walking through the dark forest of today's world, when you read the news and you see everything that's happening and all the injustice that's happening, we know that we are not alone, that we live in God's world, and that we all together are called to work for that world where mercy and justice meet. We're going to uh, sing a song here, and this song is uh, it's kind of an anthem to God's kingdom and God's way. Um, and I, I encourage you to sing it with me, and you can, uh, I haven't, I'm not as familiar with it as I would like to be, but the words are so beautiful that I would just uh, love to sing it. So there's a verse here that says, to reveal the kingdom coming and to reconcile the lost, to redeem the whole creation, you did not despise the cross. Uh, there's another line here. Um, from heaven you came running, there was mercy in your eyes. From heaven you came running, there's mercy in your eyes. In the darkness you were waiting, without hope and without light. Till from heaven you came running, there was mercy in your eyes To fulfill the law and prophets, to a virgin came the word From a throne of endless glory, to a cradle in the dirt Praise the Father Praise the Father, praise the Son the Spirit, three in one, God of glory, majesty, praise forever to the King of To reveal the kingdom coming and to reconcile the lost. Redeem the whole creation, you did not despise the cross. For even in your suffering, you saw to the other side. Knowing this was our salvation, Jesus forsake you died. Stand together if you're willing and able. Praise the Father. Praise 
for Jesus who reveals that truth to us. In his name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat.